I will add to your rant okay. very briefly. <laughs> when someone says, is this suitable for congregational singing? The first question is, which congregation? It's important. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And today we're talking about a hymn that has seen something of a revival in the last 20 years. We'll be talking about another traveling evangelist, casting crowns, and of course, the glorious gospel. But first, you know what we're about to say. If you like us, and I mean really like us, there are a few ways you can support us. Of course, you can share and like this episode with friends. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to us. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter at himpartial.com or the best way of all is to consider supporting us financially on ko-fi.com slash himpartial. This helps us pay the bills with a Z and will help open up some more avenues for us to make this podcast better and better so consider supporting us today at ko-fi.com slash impartial keep this podcast going true and if you're per sighted and you're watching on youtube and you can't see what our board says <laughs> support us on ko-fi so we can get like a neon one that's oh, six feet high fancy one and then not be able to pay the electricity bill <laughs> <laughs> okay so Today, we are looking at a song called Living He Loved Me, although it goes by several names. So mm -hmm. it, some people know it as One Day When Heaven Was Filled With His Glory. Some people know it as Living He Loved Me. And some people know it as Glorious Day. That's how I know it. Yep. That's because of Casting Crowns. Probably. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually, contrary to what a lot of people now think, this hymn was not written by Mark Hall of Casting Crowns. Okay. It's quite a bit older than that. Mm -hmm. um, Living He Loved Me was written over 100 years ago by a guy called John Wilbur Chapman. So okay. he was born in Indiana in June 1859, and he was raised by Christian parents and attended a Quaker day school and a Methodist Sunday school. They're quite different branches. Okay. Yeah. Um, he couldn't put a definitive date on his actual conversion, which isn't unusual for kids raised in Christian yeah. families. Yeah. But he made a public profession of faith at 17 and joined Richmond Presbyterian Church. Mm -hmm. And from there, he went on to study and got his degree from Lane Theological Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio. There's <laughs> a lot of stuff going down there, huh? <laughs> yeah, we know a lot of people that are like... Mm -hmm. there. Shout out to Ohio, if you're listening. Sup. <laughs> While he was there, uh, in 1881, he was or ordained and would later get his Doctorate of Divinity at Worcester College. Worcester? Not Worcester, <laughs> but just W-O-S-T-E-R, as in Jeeves and Worcester, not as in Worcestershire. I don't know that reference. Jeeves and Worcester. Oh, it's, um, it's a book about this completely incompetent upper-class guy and his butler who always gets him out of his ridiculous scrapes. Ah, uh, Jeeves, like as in Ask Jeeves. As in Ask Jeeves, because Jeeves knows everything, and ah. Worcester, Bertie Worcester is a complete fool. I see. It all comes together. Some of you won't know what Ask Jeeves is. <laughs> it is a bit dated, actually. I was going to say Google it, but that kind of just puts salt in the wind. <laughs> Google Ask Jeeves and you'll understand why we're laughing like silly people. Anyways, I anyway, detracted it. Back to John Wilbur Chapman. Yes. Yeah. A year after his ordination, he married 
a girl called Irene Steddon. Mm-hmm. He didn't have much luck in marriage, to be honest. He married her, and after four years, they had a daughter, but Irene died a month after giving birth. Oh, no. Yes. And then in 1888, he remarried to a lady called Agnes Strain. They had four kids together, one of whom died in infancy, and then Agnes herself died in 1907. And in 1910, he remarried again, this time to Mabel Cornelia Moulton. And at this point, he was only 51 and had already lost two wives. Oh, dear. But, you know, that's the late 1800s, early 1900s. That wasn't actually as uncommon as you mm, might think. Mm-hmm. But it was still tragic. Yeah. Um, so in the first part of his ministry, he had eight pastorates in four different states before D.L. Moody encouraged him to become an evangelist. Mm-hmm. This is similar to what Philip Bliss did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Chapman traveled with a man called Charles Alexander and they would preach and they would hold evangelistic meetings and revival meetings and things like that, mm. which we've talked about in other episodes. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which episodes, but we have talked about it. What 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 did Philip Bliss write? Was it... Um... Um, uh, man of Sorrows? Or... Now I'm going to have to Google it. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I confess I was a little bit nervous as I read about the writer of this hymn because in 1895 he was appointed as corresponding secretary of the Presbyterian General Assembly's Committee on Evangelism, which is a really catchy name. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and he oversaw 51 evangelists who worked in 470 different cities. Mm. Um, the thing that made me nervous was that when I read that, as part of his job, he had to come up with a bunch of campaign tactics to, quote, maximize evangelistic success. Mm. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was kind of like, all right, okay. Um, um, just to interrupt on our previous note, Philip Bliss did the music to It Is Well With My Soul. That's the one. And he wrote, he composed the hymn, the music for Hallelujah, What a Saver. No, he wrote Hallelujah, What a Saver. That's the one. I always get that yeah. one in... There's a fountain mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. So because of the the thing about evangelistic, maximizing evangelistic success, I was kind of like, ooh. Yeah. Um, Because if you haven't watched our episode on the mythology behind music like Hillsong, Mm -hmm. um, it's worth going back and checking that out for the context of why that makes us a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. In essence, there were people at that time who had found out how to kind of basically whip people up into an emotional state mm-hmm. in order to create the appearance of spiritual experiences and bump up the number of professed conversions. Yeah. Now, I couldn't find out much about Chapman's own views, but what I did read was only a yellow flag. It wasn't a full red one. Okay. Um, his main idea was that rather than hold one meeting at a time in a city, hold several simultaneously in different areas. So that maximizes reach and it maximizes accessibility. Mm -hmm. So that way you can theoretically reach more people over a broader space with the gospel. Okay. Which is not a bad thing. I mean, that's what happens every Sunday. It's just not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it maximizes reach. More people can hear the gospel. And if you're living on one side of the city, you can still go. It's not like this huge journey or anything. So mm-hmm. it encourages more people to turn up. It makes sense. It's not unbiblical, like you say, about yeah. um, church. It wasn't really under the authority of the local church, which makes me kind of... Uh, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. 
it's, it's fine to preach more widely and mm-hmm. advertise better mm-hmm. so that more people hear the gospel. My wariness was just because there was a lot of suspect behavior going on in some groups at the time. But as far as I could see, Chapman stayed in the right lane. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, interestingly, and to his credit, in 1909, he demanded that any field evangelist who didn't firmly believe in the inerrancy of scripture should be removed from the ministry. Amen. I was like, <laughs> right on, brother, absolutely. right on. <laughs> it made him some enemies. <laughs> of course. Yeah, but it showed that he was one of the better better guys around We're at solid. the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so although he started up in the States, he also ended up running evangelistic campaigns in Canada, Hawaii, the Fiji Islands, Australia, New Zealand, England, Scotland, Japan, Tasmania, and the Philippines. Whoa. So he got around, which is crazy in 1900 when 1800s, 1900s, when travel just wasn't the same. It was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And God did use him to bring a lot of people to faith Mm -hmm. and bring even more under the sound of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that's great. We like that. So he wrote nearly 20 religious books, despite all the traveling. Mind you, you've got to do something on those steamboats. I was going to say, he probably had a lot of time to sit and write. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he also wrote a bunch of poetry and hymns, some of which is still out there, but this is his most famous hymn. Mm -hmm. In his later years, he was elected moderator of the Presbyterian Church General Assembly, Mm -hmm. um, and he put it under so much stress that he actually developed gallstones, which are very, very painful. And he had to have emergency surgery, but it ended up being too much for him, and he died two days later on Christmas Day 1918 at only 59 years old. Goodness gracious. Yeah, so he got around, he married a bunch of times, he wrote a bunch of stuff, he did tons of things, and it's like, and he was barely 60 when he died. It just goes to show you, like, you know, and this and this can be abused, so I won't I won't overstate it, but you know, folks use their full span of their life for Mm -hmm. for the gospel. I think we've We've seen historical examples and we go, oh, we're going to be like that person. We're going to be like Spurgeon. We're going to be mm-hmm. like this guy, you know, whatever. But it's like these guys all died really young because they, yeah. they like totally overworked themselves and put themselves under a lot of stress. It's, a, it's, a, it's God's timing and it's God's glory yeah. that for whatever span of their life, they used it for him. But it also is like, well, we shouldn't hold it up. Like this is the, mm-hmm. this is the model because they they did these things at the expense of their own health, yes. you know? So, I mean, you get different personalities or different giftings. Some people are just firecrackers mm-hmm. and they just go full tilt for a shorter time, mm-hmm. but they, they have such a huge impact Yeah, and other people are just slow and steady yeah. and it's a longer <laughs> time period, but they still have a lot of impact. And mm-hmm. I think, I was going to say there's nothing wrong with either. Neither of them are wrong per se. It's just being wise about rest. and Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're creatures. We're not God. We have to rest. But, you know, praise the Lord when we do get to serve him mm-hmm. and bring him glory in this life. It's always praise, praise for him. Yeah. You know? So before we dig in, Monet, would you mind reading the lyrics for us? No problem. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, 
dwelt among men, my example is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, O oh, glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain, one day they nailed him to die on the tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. One day they left him alone in the garden, one day he rested from suffering free. Angels came down or his tomb to keep vigil. Hope of the hopeless, my Savior is he. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing. Say, glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. It's so good. Just want to start singing it, don't you? <laughs> Always. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Actually, going back to Mark Hall, the guy from Casting Crowns, mm -hmm. which is a contemporary Christian band for those who may not be familiar. I did watch a video where he was talking about this song and I loved what he said about it because mm -hmm. he said, if you knew this song, then you knew the gospel. Mm. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. That's true. But that was the point of a lot of these songs that were used in evangelistic campaigns. It was mm -hmm. like, it's catchy enough that you keep singing it and the words get in your head and then you have it. Um, yeah, it's useful. Yeah. So this song is great because over the verses, it kind of tells the story and I really like that. So it starts at the beginning with Christ's birth and then it walks through his life, his death, his resurrection. So the verses tell the story and then the chorus gives us this compact explanation of the gospel, basically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, reiterating the message of the song as a whole. Yeah. So I know some people don't like choruses. Oh, but this one has so much good doctrine and explains the gospel so clearly and compellingly and it's really catchy and it gets stuck in your head. So I think those are good things. I'm looking at you, Miss Oh Choruses. I'm not anti-chorus. You're not anti-chorus, but you're not pro-chorus either. I am you're selective. Like, yeah, you're selectively okay, meh, towards choruses. Uh, it's adding choruses to hymns that are perfectly good for no reason that i don't like well it's not for no reason but it doesn't to the yeah that well we'll talk about this another time <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a whole debate on choruses one do, episode do an off the record where we yes. just like go crazy about chorus well that shouldn't be off the record because that's on that's fair, him partial related think there's like a whole episode worth of stuff to say <laughs> other than if the song stands as it is and the chorus doesn't add to it then don't bother. If you have strong opinions on choruses, email us and we might yeah. pick your brain about a show episode. So continue. Yeah. Anyway, so I will say on record that I do actually really like the Casting Crowns version. You know. How could you not? It's glorious. I know, but like <laughs> generally, well, actually I say that, but last week when we talked about Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go, I was like been the old one <laughs> i was gonna say normally i'm the one who's like oh i'm good with the old one um but i love casting crowns because it's so upbeat mm. and it's so catchy and i think it's interesting how they added 
bits between the verses and the chorus but it worked mm-hmm. and then they made the final verse a bridge as opposed to a verse so the tune is slightly different mm-hmm. but it like builds yeah which really works as well yes i'm not convinced it's great for congregational singing simply because of some of the timings in it it's a little bit disagree tricky <laughs> if your congregation is used to that sort of thing and has listened to it a lot you'll be fine if you have a congregation who's used to just hymns mm-hmm. they'll struggle a little bit but this is this is my this is we talked about this a few weeks ago this is my bone to pick with the modern day church all doesn't matter where you come from whether it's all contemporary all hymns psalm singing whatever whatever it is is the responsibility of the congregation to do more than just turn up on a Sunday. Yes. And so I feel like if, you know, so I've seen, you know, multiple pastors do this. They're like, hey, we're going to sing a new song. Mm -hmm. Learn it. Yeah. Right? Daniel does this. Like my husband does this. You know, hey, learn this song. We're going to sing a new song, right? And the congregation goes away and they listen to it. You mean to tell me you know all the lyrics to Britney Spears' song? That's not made for congregational singing or journeys don't stop believing right that's not made for congregational singing well, but everyone when that song comes on they open their mouth and like, they start to sing it stop. yes yeah. so i think if you learn a song yeah then it doesn't really matter the style or the whatever yeah i think that it's it's a it's a combo you know we shouldn't think- pick some super duper difficult song mm. but also End of my rant, and I will stop talking after this. We love Christmas. You know, we talk about Christmas, mm-hmm. like, for a whole month or whatever when it comes down to it. Look out for those videos. They're coming. But what's that song that's like... There's a bunch of them it? that have that chorus. Angels from the Realms of Glory has Angels it. from the Realms of Glory. So that is a really hard thing to sing. And yet, everybody knows it yep. because they've familiarized them, they've heard it a bunch, you know. Yep. But this is like hard stuff like breath control and like the, if you're not very... Well, you have to sing it at the right pace to not be like, oh, oh. Yeah, but either way, it's a hard song to sing. And yep. yet, when that comes on, people are like, here we go, yep. you know, and they start, they or sing it. for the... the- Less sanctified people out there, ding dong merrily on high, also has yes. that chorus. <laughs> exactly. Just saying. It's the vocal runs, they're difficult. Yes, the vocal runs are hard, but, but I um, think people can learn them if they... I will add to your rant okay. very briefly. <laughs> when someone says, is this suitable for congregational singing? The first question is, which congregation? <laughs> it's important, yeah. Okay, you're not going to go to a psalm-only church and be like, all right, guys, we're going to sing Angels from the Realm of Glory, though they'd probably be down. But... You know, you say, okay, this is what we're used to. Let's like gradually talk about yeah. how to incorporate different things if it's appropriate for your congregation, all that stuff, right? They're never going to be able to do it if they don't learn. Yeah. But yeah. that's like a whole tangent. Sorry. And rant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, a congregation that is more used to old fashioned, to use a musical term, strophic hymns. Um, they're going to struggle a little bit. Strophic mm-hmm. just means all the verses are the same. Thank you. Yeah. Um, also, like when I've sung it, I don't know if it's just the key that the person was playing in, but it's always so high on the chorus. And it's I'm like, definitely. Oh, well, I can feel the strain. Because the, the Casting Crowns version mm-hmm. starts an octave below, doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't the verse start an octave? The verse is like low and, and then, then it goes up. Yeah. And you're like, ooh. Yeah. I so I struggle with that if you don't that, have yeah. great range. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, it is a good example of taking the words and making something fresh and enjoyable out of mm-hmm. it. And if it helps people today to rediscover such excellent lyrics, then I'm all for that. It's yes. like, um, oh, someone mentioned this. What was it that got revamped in the, was it, oh, it's one of the hymns you did. Um, the whole, before the throne of God above. Was that a revamp? I think, was it Nikki Cook? took the lyrics in the 1990s Cook. vicky cook sorry it might have been before the and throne of she, god she read it because it used to be eight verses or six verses and now it's only three or four anyway so things like that if it gets people to sing old hymns with good lyrics again mm-hmm. then i mean there's tons of examples i mean we oh, did oh love with a well that will, will not, not let, let me go, go which we got someone gave us a uh uh we had some pushback. Yeah, because about, we put will but, instead of not instead oh, of wilt. I was thinking about pushback against the old tune. And oh, actually, yeah. thank you for sending me that video. You know who you are. Because <laughs> that was actually a really nice version <laughs> of the old tune. Anyway, we're all tangents today. I know. Let's get to the song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the first verse. This is the good, good place This is the start. quality tangents that you guys tune in for. Um, so... This particular hymn that we are talking about begins with the incarnation, which is a very important doctrine. Mm-hmm. It tells us that heaven was filled with his praises, indicating that Jesus existed before he was ever born. Mm. And it tells us that he was born of a virgin, fulfilling mm. prophecies. And you may be like, yeah, and? Mm-hmm. But these are some key things that not everybody gets, and mm-hmm. they are fundamentals. So this harks back to John Eight fifty-eight, where Jesus says, "Before Abraham was, I am," and also to Isaiah seven fourteen. Could you read that for us? Yes. Um, Therefore, the Lord Himself would give you a sign: Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. There you go. Meaning God with us. Mm. Yes. Key element being God with us. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're just going to kind of power through these verses. Yes. But second one deals with his death. So you've got this link back to Isaiah 53 in the lyrics and you have the beautiful truth of this brutality and suffering for our redemption. Mm -hmm. And it may seem weird to say the beauty of it, but it is a beautiful thing to see God himself in human form laying down his life for sinful man. Mm -hmm. So the idea of being led up Calvary's mountain has undertones of Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Mm. That always mm. really gets to me. I don't know why. Yes, it does. <laughs> so the third verse is about his burial, um, which is also important because he was genuinely dead, which is an important vital is a vital point so i love the phrase that he rested Mm -hmm. because it wasn't that he was like kept down Mm -hmm. he'd finished what he was doing he finished his work and he rested Mm -hmm. and then he would take up his life again when he was good and ready and jesus (laughs) like he tells us that he tells us as much himself in Mm -hmm. john 10 17 to 18 for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i might take it up again no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Yeah, and this is also important um, 
for theological reasons that I won't get into because <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole huge thing like yeah. you can go very very wrong about what the crucifixion was about like there are people who believe that um yeah they believe all sorts of bad things they about believe it. incorrect theology incorrect about things. this yes. yes and so the fact that like the life was laid down it wasn't taken it was taken up again mm-hmm. all on Jesus's terms mm-hmm. is important um so verse four makes this point um yeah it makes this point further it rejoices in his resurrection and it's this really triumphant verse i love it he's risen and ascended like salvation is here and jesus reigns Mm -hmm. and you're just like yes i love Mm -hmm. singing it yeah just a side note i love when any verse says that he is conquered i don't know why it's just like a it's one of those things i'm like yes more of that (laughs) i love i love victory things yes just like yes because we're in the middle of the battle still Mm -hmm. but like the war is won Mm -hmm. that's um that's a third day song something about but the war is being won and then it's like he is alive death he is conquered he is alive something else probably i know it if you start to sing it i can't think how it goes anyway we're gonna stay on track (laughs) we come to the fifth and final verse turning from looking back at the finished work to looking forward to the end of the story glory glory i do not have my glory t-shirt on today but it does end in glory Mm. because of what christ has done we look forward in hope to him returning death will be gone christ will be victorious Every knee will bow, and the best part is that we will be with him at last. Mm. And we get this in Hebrews 9, 28. Yes. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Us. We waiting. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's just so much good theology packed in here and so much important stuff like if you're singing this like think about what you're saying Mm -hmm. there's just so much of the key doctrines of the christian faith Mm -hmm. just like crammed in there it's fantastic um i don't know anyway i'm looking forward to christ coming back um yes (laughs) he's gonna make everything right yay i mean that's why (laughs) we're gonna be with him like well that's why the the hook or the chorus or the refrain or whatever you want to call it of this song is so wonderful because every in between every one of these really wonderful verses you're reminded of like one day he's coming and oh what a glorious day that'll be and i love the emphasis that it's going to be a glorious day because it's coming back in glory it's not just like a good day or a happy day all those things are be true but it's a glorious day because it's filled with his glory yeah i really love it because it like it looks back and it says what he did was amazing, but just you wait till he gets back, yeah. basically. And yeah. you're just like, oh. You ain't seen nothing yet. It makes you just really long for it. Yeah. You're like, oh man, yeah. I hope that day comes. Um, it is gonna, it's going to be a glorious day. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we close out, I thought a good place to finish would be 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Yes. Now I would remind 
Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Yeah, I mean... I constantly need reminded of the gospel. It's not just like this thing that you do at the beginning and Mm -mm. then you get saved and then you're like, cool, moving on. Like you need to keep coming back to this. And Mm -hmm. this song does that really well, I think. Amen. I think what we need to do now is finish this recording and then go listen to the the Casting Crowns version of this song (laughs) and just blast it. It's really a wonderful song. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you were saying, oh, let's do an episode on it. I was like, I just immediately started singing it. I don't know if you remember, but like, it's such a great song. And I think we've been talking a lot about lament and sadness and like, those Mm. things are perfectly part of the Christian life. But Jesus is coming back. It's going to be glorious. Amen. Those things are not going to last forever. It's great to just celebrate and praise and sung praise Mm -hmm. to the Lord. So I hope if you have somehow been under a rock somehow and you haven't heard this hymn, that you would go listen to it. It's really beautiful. Um, We have a preferred version, but I'm sure whatever um, musical like composition you listen to is going to be wonderful if it has these lyrics. But thank you so much, Cara, for bringing us the good stuff as usual. No problem. Um, Support us on Ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash him, partial, become a member today. Help us pay the bills. Help us get better whiteboard. Yes, help us get a better sign. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye.